If you have your Bibles, uh, let's open them up. Uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Uh, Luke 14. Make your way about two-thirds in the Bible. You'll find a book called Matthew that begins the New Testament. Then keep hanging a right, and eventually you hit Luke. And um, for a few months now, uh, I've, I've been having a slow-cooking uh, conversation uh, with God. I don't know if you've ever done that, but... Uh, it usually takes me uh, quite a few conversations for me to start kind of catching up to or, or figuring out uh, what God is actually saying to me. Uh, and, and it's a conversation that really just it began in my own heart regarding my steps. But then he graciously opened my eyes uh, to see some challenges that we face, uh, not only in the body of Christ as a whole, but but some things that are at play here in our very own body at Merge. And, uh, and, and much of the conversation uh, really has been surrounding a, a tension I feel for uh, what God is producing in my life. And uh, really, primarily, it, it, it's, it's this question I've been asking is like, okay, God, why don't I find myself, and this is, this is typical Brandon right here, okay? Um, why don't I find myself in more conversations uh, with people who are far from you that need to find their life in Christ? Why don't I find myself in, in more of those conversations where I'm talking intentionally about who you are and your goodness and, and how people who are dead can come back alive? And, and, and then, by extension, the conversation is, is why don't we, let's just be honest, if we can be a family this morning, why don't we hear more of those kind of stories coming up from Merge? Like people who are having those conversations with people in their neighborhoods or in their offices or, or on their kids' sports teams. Why, don't, why aren't we hearing uh, more of those stories? And this, this led me to evaluate some areas of my life and why I struggle at times, really with, with my own devotion and some of the steps that, that I take. I mean, after all, you can live in a way that looks good and looks respectable, and you can even sprinkle in things that look like Christianity from time to time, but, but so can unbelieving people. In fact, uh, I think it's one of the challenges that we have here in living in suburbanite America, uh, that, that, that our way of living can blend in very easily with our community, that, that our houses um, are relatively similar, our cars are, look the same, many of us have, have similar jobs, or our kids are on the same sports teams, and, and you can have an unbeliever and you can have a believer standing side by side and really, you can evaluate their manner of living, and there's not much difference, though it really should be. And so, so the issue is, is when I read my Bible, I, and I hear of some of the words of Jesus, and I see some of the descriptions that come out about the way the early church was operating, and, and, and then I read further into the New Testament, and I see these instructions about the ways that God wants us to live, I'm confronted with the truth that we have not been rescued by Jesus to blend in. We just haven't. 
And, and at the same time, we've not been rescued by Jesus uh, so that we can be abrasive to the point where people can't, an unbelieving world can't see past our argumentative uh, stances. We, we've been rescued in Jesus to be a light. And so that our manner of living becomes a beacon for those who are trapped in darkness. That's, that's the way this works, that, that God makes you a light so that you can be a beacon for those who are trapped in the darkness where people find refuge uh, because we get to make much of the love of God expressed through Jesus. And so, so the questions I've been asking, God, revolve around whether or not my life looks any different than a good, law-abiding, school-pickup-line, Walmart-shopping, lame-dad-joke-telling person. And if I was an unbeliever, would my life look any different than a lot of our lives? And does, does my life blend into my community in such a way that people who are trapped in darkness can't see my light? Now, this isn't my group therapy session for you, but, but I want to bring you up to speed and so, so this answer, the answer to this question, in a, in a really weird way, crystallized this summer while I was teaching our te- our teens uh, at summer camp. We were having a Friday morning session, and and I was I was wrapping. We were wrapping up our time, and of course they were sitting at the edge of their seats saying, "Brandon, please talk longer at me. It's so much fun." Uh, but we had to go to lunch, and but we had spent that morning talking about two vital roles that Jesus serves in our lives. Two roles. In fact, both of the roles are found in Luke chapter 2. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I think we have, them. We have this, this uh, verse up on the screen. So, so these angels appear to some shepherds who were just working the fields, and, and they come in, freak them out, right? And they, they tell them, hey, we have good news of great joy. And he says this, that for unto you is born this day in the city of David which is Bethlehem. And he tells us these two roles that Jesus plays in our lives. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so here's what we we talked about. We said there's two roles that Jesus plays, right? Jesus as Savior means that He liberates us because He loves us. He liberates us. He sets us free from the bondage of sin and death because He loves us. And then secondly, Lord... That He leads me because He loves me. He leads me because He loves me. Now, as my trust develops in His Lordship, the further I go in His kingdom. And so these two roles are, are, only, are really the only roles that Jesus can fulfill for us. We, we can't save ourselves and we really can't lead ourselves very well outside of the pursuit of our own uh, very small glory. And there, there are a lot of other things when we read the Bible that we see Jesus accomplish uh, and the great effect that He has in our lives that, that in His name, just the things that are in His name are powerful. That we can find healing. That, that demons have to flee. That, that we are shaped as we, as we walk in the Word. We are shaped by His teachings and we are challenged by His example. But, but, but these two things are His primary objective and we never get past them. It doesn't matter how much you love God. You will never get past the marvel 
that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. That He's both Savior and Lord. And so this took my heart to a very vulnerable moment and, and that, that was unexpected and, and, where, and one where since God has been saying, okay, now that you can identify where you are, we can talk about where you want to be and where I want you to be. Okay, I think those are very important things, right? If you're going on a trip, it's helpful to know where you're starting. Right? You can't just say, well, I'm going to get there. Well, where am I? I don't know, but I'm going to get there one day. And so, so we wrapped up this session, this Friday morning session. Again, them begging me, don't, keep going. And I asked our, our teens to consider where they land with Jesus in, in one of three places. In one of three places. And since His role is to be Savior and Lord, that He saves us from our sins, He leads us towards holiness, there are ple- three places uh, we can find ourselves. And these are typical responses that, that we, you can follow along your talk notes if you want. You have a group over here that when they see Jesus, they don't accept Him as Savior and they don't accept Him as Lord. They don't. Now, that's, that's simply the state of the unbeliever. They don't see their need to submit their life to Jesus because they don't see Him for who He is. They, they, don't, they don't understand the cost that he paid, primarily because they don't understand the weight of their own sin and they need to be reconciled to God. And now this, this may be you today. And here's what you need to know. We've been praying for you. We don't think of you as an enemy. We don't think of you as hostile towards the church. We've prayed for you. We think that that's the starting place of every single person that they need to eventually see their need for Christ. Then you have the second group that, that they've, they've accepted Jesus as Savior, but they haven't really accepted Him as Lord. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, but not as my Lord. And this is a hard one for me to talk about because my concern is that there's a lot like us in this room. That, that this is typically the modern church culture, that I have Jesus as Savior, but I don't really have Him as Lord. We've, we've asked Jesus to, to save us, and we're even willing to do religious stuff from time to time, as long as it doesn't interfere with kids' sports or the Cowboys' kickoff, or doesn't make me too uncomfortable, and it's, it's not too expensive, right? But there's a limit where we feel God is being unreasonable to ask so much of us as if our lives were really that spectacular to begin with. And we want to be in God's story, but here's the issue. We also still want to write our continuing adventures that at times are are competing with the Joneses and is striving hard to blend in with what we think still looks cool so people will like us, that maybe as adults we are still like teenagers and we still just deal with the same old stuff. And this, this place really has, has little space for Jesus when He comes in His Word and He says things like to come and die. When, when He says to carry your cross, when He tells you sell all your sell all you own and follow Him. And we think those words are for professionals and, and we think those words are for those who are super devoted, right? But... 
but all the while there, there's this issue. And now I'm not, I'm not saying that, that living in a certain neighborhood is bad or, or driving a certain car is bad or, or your kids playing sports is bad because I think all of those, all of those things are avenues for ministry. Every single one of them. Now whether we want to leverage it for ministry or not, that's up, that's up for you to decide. But all those things can be leveraged. But if all of those, uh, if, if all those things that we do in our lives lead to us blending in, then I think we misunderstand that that's not where Jesus is leading us. And, and so, so if, if this is you this morning, I want you to breathe because uh, we can't get to where we want to be before we first understand where we are. And so, so what I want to do here over these next couple of weeks is just prod you, and I want to challenge you, and I want you to ask about some places that Jesus is leading you and leading your family, and whether or not you have reluctance to get there or not. And then there's this other. So we have this group that says, Jesus is not my Lord, Jesus is not my Savior. And then you have this group who has been sold Jesus. Typically, the reason why you've been sold Jesus as Savior and not Lord is because of guys like me who are desperate to just sell you. And Jesus is greater than that. He, he matters much more than that. And so you have this second group that's Savior, uh, but not Lord. And then you have this third group that's, that sees Jesus as both Savior and Lord. Both Savior and Lord. And this is a great place to be, because this is exactly where Jesus has led you. This is exactly the call of the Gospel. That this is the right and the proper place where we worship properly and we live rightly for the glory of god this is where our lives become significant because we celebrate that our great treasure is found in christ and christ alone that's what we get to do with our lives we get to tell people that we found a great treasure and you need to come see it you need to come spend time with it because the longer you spend time with it the more you'll realize just how incredible this treasure is and then you'll want to cherish it the way that i do and this is where our lives carry great importance because no matter the circumstance of the life, no matter the season, we are growing a faith that others see and they're drawn to the well where you find your life from. And this is the relationship that Jesus has in mind when He talks to us in the Bible. This is the relationship He has in mind where, where He is both Savior and He is both Lord. And anything short of this is a false security and it leads us to dangerous and deadly places. Anything short of it. And this is where we need to be and this is where we must be if we're to live lives worthy of the price that, that Jesus paid. And so, so what I've been, all that to say this, what I've been asking and what I've been praying through is, is why do we find so many in the church living in this place of number two? where we have Jesus as Savior, but really He's not leading anything in our lives. We're in control. Why aren't more of us living in number three? And what, what I believe is at play are, are not new words for us to discover, but old ones revealed to us by the Word. Since, since anything short of following Jesus as Savior and Lord leads us away from the Gospel, we need to pay attention to some of the times that Jesus comes in and He speaks about the cost involved in following him. In fact, uh, he talks about this often, and he talks about this very clearly, that, that when we think he means something different, it's often because we wish he said something different. Right? 
Anybody, anybody in there? Like I like to read my Bible with a pen and a Sharpie. And anytime he says something that I don't like, maybe, maybe they made a mistake at the publishing house. This, this, is, this is the constant argument I have with the Bible when I read it. I'm like, God, I wish you would have said something different. And he's like, it's for your betterment that I didn't. And so, so, and I think most of that is because what we really desire, if we're honest with ourselves, is, is we want Jesus to save us, and then we want him to let us run free until we need him to come rescue us again. Right? That's, that's the, that's, you read the Bible. Read, read the Old Testament. That's the history of these people. They say, God save us. God saves them. And then he says, all right, leave us alone so we can do whatever we want to do. And eventually, they self-sabotage and detonate their whole lives to where they get to this point where they say, God, come save us again. Come save us again. And God in his mercy saves them again. And then eventually they say, hey, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. Leave us alone, leave us alone. And it's not the way it's supposed to work. That's not the call of the gospel. That's not the relationship that God has established with us. And so, so what I hope we will understand is that a growing faith grows in trust that where Jesus leads, what Jesus calls from us, takes us into the most satisfaction and the most cause for celebration that is possible for us to live in. That's the place. Regardless of where he says, I'm leading you to the place of your greatest satisfaction. And to start this process, we're, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. And we're, we're going to jump into verse uh, 25. But let me tell you what's happened in 1 through 24 very quickly. Uh, Jesus shows up at the house of a Pharisee where he's having dinner. And he walks in and he talks to them about healing. And then he talks about honor. Uh, and the way Jesus does much of the time, when he's done, it's like a mic drop and he leaves the room. Okay? And this is, this is where we pick it up in, in verse 25. Lawson, do you have those verses? Thank you, sir. Now, great crowds accompanied him. Okay? So Jesus walks out of the room. Great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, check this out, welcome everybody to church Jesus. And No, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down? And if you like to circle in, the, in your Bible, here's some great words. And count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Verse 31, Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is at a great uh, way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Those are hard words, right? Not just, not just for me, right? Like we think those are 
Those are hard, those are heavy words that perhaps the call of Jesus isn't near as safe as we've been led to believe. That there is a demand of the free gift of God through Jesus. So he leaves his house and this great crowd follows him. But Jesus knows something about them. And he's not really impressed with their enthusiasm. Because he, he knew that, that most of those in the crowd, they weren't even the least bit interested in spiritual things. They weren't. They were coming to Jesus for a number of different reasons. Some heard he can heal some heard he can just perform miracles. Some heard that he can feed those who are hungry. Some heard because the Cowboys are kicking off at 325 and they just thought if I can be close to him, maybe they'll win. Right? Any number of reasons. And Jesus, what was amazing to me about this scene is at the same time that the crowds are growing Jesus speaks and he deliberately thins the ranks. He looks at him and now the question is why? Why would Jesus? Because that's what we think, right? We think that the bigger the crowd, the more healthy the group. And that's not necessarily the case. And, and so, so the question on the table is why would Jesus do that? And I think it's because he's not playing games with the cost of following him. Right? And he's not leaving his expectations up to interpretation. That, that people are going to walk up and they're going to follow Him and He wants them to understand, hey, we're going into places that you would rather avoid. We're going to do things that are less comfortable than what you think is the way it's supposed to be working out. We're going to write a story that is going to tell of the glory of someone other than you. And so He looks at him and He says these words, about what it looks like to be a disciple. What it looks like to follow Him. And, and we're going to, we're always going to give up something if you were going to follow Jesus. And what He draws our attention to are some heavy things. Right? Let's, let's talk about those. He gives us three here. Let's talk about those heavy things. Number one, Jesus says, you can't be my disciple if you love your family more than you love Jesus. Now that sounds so backwards, doesn't it? Does that, like some of you smiled and chuckled, you know, like, no, no, I'm serious. Like that sounds backwards. That, as you read the Bible, what we know is that what Jesus is saying, he's not talking about hatred in the sense that we tend to read here. Right? In fact, you can't, you can't hate, for instance, you can't hate your father and your mother while at the same time honoring them. You can't love your spouse, I'm sorry, you can't hate your spouse or your kids while at the same time leading them to honor God with their lives. And so, so when we get to verse 26, we need to understand uh, that the, the necessity is that we would love and we would cherish Christ supremely. Supremely. He would be our first and our greatest love. And so, so we love Jesus more than our spouse, more than our kids, more than our parents, more than ourselves. And the gain, the gain of that far outweighs anything that we fear we will lose. 
You realize that. In Christ, this is the biggest challenge I think we face here in the modern church. We have an identity crisis that we don't understand that in Christ He becomes our identity. So everything else are just roles that you play. You can be a father, you can be a mother, you can be a a son and a daughter and a husband and a wife. Those are just roles. Your identity becomes in Christ alone. And so, so, so the way, the way I, and this, this is great news for us. And let me, I'll tell you, if you know me, you'll get this. Misty's love for Jesus far outweighs her love for me, and that's why she stays with me. The covenant keeps us united. Right? You okay, Heather? Yeah, you're like, there's never been, in 45 years of knowing this guy, a moment that has been so true, right? Yeah, so true. My love for Jesus far outweighs my love for my 14-year-old, 13-year-old, 6-year-old. That's why I haven't booted him to the curb yet. The covenant sustains the relationship. So, our love for Jesus is greater than our love for ourselves, and that's why we can serve one another sacrificially, why we can care for each other in deep and sacrificial ways. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, that that our love for Christ must be so strong that all other love is like hatred in comparison. Then he continues. He says, You cannot be my disciple if you are unwilling to bear your own cross and follow Jesus. So so what does it mean to carry your cross? What does that that look like? And I think this deserves a longer answer than what we're going to have time for. But the short end is that every day you wake up and you identify with Christ. You identify in His shame, in His suffering, in His surrender to God's will. That, that it means death to self, our own plans, our own ambitions, and a willingness to serve Him as He directs. And this is, this is why uh, what Jesus says in verses 28 through 32 are, are very important to us because He wants us to just stop. Because he's not saying, don't follow me. He's saying, when you decide to follow me, let's understand the cost that is involved here. So he gives us these two illustrations. And he says, you know, which one of you beginning to build a tower, um, pay attention to how much money you have, because what if you can't finish it? And then he says, "If, if, if you wouldn't, and then... Which of you would go to war without first finding out how many men you have than how many men they have? And he says, if, if you wouldn't do that in those areas, then why would you foolishly and recklessly give Jesus your life only to take it back up again? And that's the issue of having Jesus as Savior but not Lord. We give Him our lives only to try to take it back up again. And so... So he says, count the cost because I'm telling you the agreement here is all of you for all of me. Everything. So in verse 33 he says, you can't be my disciple if you are unwilling to renounce all for the sake of Jesus. And now here's the thing. Some of us have worked really hard to get a lot of stuff and it's all nice stuff, right? 
Now, this doesn't only have to pertain to our stuff. It extends to, to our relationships, our opportunities, our ambitions, really anything we are tempted to place our security and our hopes in. And you want to know where that is? Imagine, getting, imagine it being removed from your life. Then saying, oh, how do I feel about that? Right? We're, we're fine until all of a sudden somebody wants to remove it. And then we're like, wait, hold on. I wasn't done grabbing that with all of my strength. And so, and again, ha- having stuff and relationships and the rest, it's, it's not sinful. But the grip that we have on them perhaps may be. And in Jesus, our lives move from ownership to stewardship. So, so we are entrusted with these gifts to make much of God with. This is where blending and being a light collide. That Jesus says there's no way to live with a foot in two doorways. There's no way to do it. Because you will always find yourself drawn to one. And so, so, so it's truly that, that this is an all or nothing proposition. And one of the reasons this is hard is because we want options. In fact, not only do we want options, we believe we are owed options. That it's unfair of someone to say there's only one way. Really, and that, that pertains to any way in our lives, right? Go to the DMV and be like, yeah, I don't like this. You're telling me there's only one way to get to the front of that line? I can find a thousand different ways. 900 of them, illegal. But that's beside the fact. We, we believe we, we want options. And so, what happens is, we want options really not because we want multiple options. We really just want to hedge our bets. Because what if I'm wrong about this one thing? I need to hedge my bet and have a backup plan when... Let's be honest, adventuring with a backup plan is not adventuring at all. It's not. It's just having options. And so what's helpful is that as Jesus says these things about being a disciple, we don't have to wonder if he's being truthful. We have to wonder if we're willing to follow. That's, that's what's on the table. Are you willing to follow? Have you counted the cost and are you willing to to follow. And I think there's a lot of reasons we can give uh, for this tension that we feel as Jesus tells us to count the cost. And, and as we read the Gospels, we find different responses to the words of Jesus's. In fact, some will, will follow Him to the point of death. And we watch and we say, yes, God, give me, give me courage and boldness to do those kind of things. And then we see at other times people who will hear what Jesus says and they'll, they'll, very, they'll be very honest. They'll be more honest than most of us in this room. They'll be like, I'm out. I'm out. I can't follow that. That's, that's too hard. What he is saying is too difficult. I can't do it. And so they walk away. Now, they walk away disappointed. But at least they, they walk away. And then you find people who are kind of in the middle of that. They have great desire to follow, but they struggle to trust. That's group two. I have all the desire to follow you, but I don't know if I trust you enough to give it all to you. And if that's you, then I think Luke 9 can be helpful, or at least exposing. Luke 9, chapter 57, or verse 57, says this, As they were going along the road... 
someone said to him, I love this, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Have you ever, you ever made that prayer? I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus looks at him, and this is what I love. Because he does that, sweet, let's do it, man. No, he goes, he says this, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then to another he said, follow me. But that guy said to him, uh, let, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, I don't know what picture of Jesus you've been presented with, but this doesn't seem like the nice, fluffy Jesus who just is super loving to everybody. And there's a lot to take away from these six verses, and we're not going to. We'll save that for another day. But, but, but there are three people having the same conversation with Jesus. And the first makes this great proclamation. He says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looks at him and says, you need to count the cost, because we don't have a headquarters, so bring a mat. We're not, we're not going back to a house at the end of the day. And he says, count the cost. And, and I laughed this week because I, I imagine this scenario where I told you guys, hey, we're going on a retreat, and I guarantee you, you're going to hear the voice of God, but you have to bring a tent. And 98% of us would be like, out, out. Can I, can I bring my fan? This is, I'm a fan guy. Like, I don't camp because I can't bring a fan. But I wonder how many of us, if, if I guaranteed you, Hey, God is going to speak to you. He's going to move in your heart. He's going to reveal something to you. But you have to bring a sleeping bag and that's it. How many of us would be willing to go? The other two essentially say the same thing, but I think we can find some commonality. They say, hey, I'm, I, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but first. I'll follow you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. But first, and you can just fill in the blank. You can fill in the blank with your own answer right now. Go ahead, in your mind. Jesus, I'll go with you wherever I want to go. But first. And as you fill in that blank, you know what you're identifying? This is going to be hard. Your heart's desire. That's what you've just identified. I'll go with you anywhere you want me to go, but first let me, there's your heart's desire. And now here's the thing, I don't say that to guilt you, I just say it to reveal it to you. Because you can't go anywhere without first knowing where you're at. God, I will give you my whole life, and it's been everything. Just depending on when I started my walk, before I had a walk, I was bargaining with God. Because I heard about one day He's coming back, and I'm like, all for that, except there's some things that I would like to accomplish with my life first. I'll follow you anywhere, but first let me. And that's an issue. 
That's an issue. That, that, that but first. And we read these words and we collectively want to agree that Jesus is somehow being unreasonable. That He's being too demanding with this call because He's, he's not considering our lives when that can be further from the truth. You get that, right? No? Okay, hopefully in the next couple of weeks I can convince you of that. That, that when Jesus is telling us, what Jesus is telling us here is that before Him, our lives were trapped. And at best, you were trapped in sin and it was leading you to death. Before Him. That even what we called good moments, they, they weren't taking us to a promised land. They weren't taking us to an intimate uh, relationship with the King who reigns forever. We were living fractions of the lives that we could be living. And the call of the gospel is, is a call to come and die to ourselves so we can live in Jesus because we were already dead, guys. We were already dead. And so this proposition, is, it's not up for debate and it's not up for bartering, even though we like to attempt that. That, that we've made the waters murky over the years to the point that we can try to convince ourselves that Jesus is willing to water down Himself so that we can live a divided life with divided hearts. And that's a lie from the enemy. It is. It's not biblical. That I can have Jesus, but I can also have all these other sprinkled in things. That's not the call of the gospel. So we can start wrapping this up. Now, as, as I say... This proposition is not up for debate or bartering. We need to realize that, that we are the ones who are the victors, right? That in Jesus, what we gain far outweighs anything that we think we lost. Anything we think that God is keeping us from. We, we gain so much more. And if you catch yourself thinking that that's not true, then the issue on the table is that, that you don't have a proper understanding of the damage of sin. And you don't understand the price that God has paid to redeem you. You don't. And again, I don't say that in a way it's condescending or to guilt you. I just want you to see where you're at so that you can understand where you need to get. So I was thinking about this not this week. I was, I was writing in my journal. And, and there were some thoughts here. Now, if you don't like them, then that's okay. Um, there's some thoughts I felt like God was saying, hey, you need to, you need to share this entry. Um, so it starts off, hey God, what's up? Not much going on here. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so you're like, God, that sounds like something you would write. That's cool. That's cool. So John Piper, one of my favorite pastors ever, he says this, that God is most glorified in us and we are most satisfied in Him. That the glory of God lives brighter and burns brighter in us when we are satisfied in Him. And so since I believe this to be true, then the radical calling in the Bible is that we must desire God more than anything else. Now this should not be as radical of a statement when we consider the majesty and the infinite worth of God as much as finite beginnings can I'm sorry as much as finite beings can comprehend infinity 
that any struggle towards desire for God alone exposes our idolatries, ending in our desire to please ourselves more than anything else. This in turn is what idolatry is wrapped up in anyways. Me serving an idol or giving my affection to an idol so that I can receive validation or comfort or a sense of satisfaction from whatever I feel the idol offers. In that process, the idol is not ultimate. Rather, I am striving to be ultimate while using the idol as a means to an end. My devotion is not even pure in this sense. All this being said merely simplifies what is truly at play in my own heart, that that I am being pulled, I'm not being pulled in a thousand different directions with temptations. I'm either being pulled in the direction of self-promotion or I'm being wooed toward God glorification. And so two things remain true. That number one, God will not share His throne with me. He's unwilling to lower His standard of holiness in order for me to rob Him of what solely belongs to Him. And then number two, pursuing self-promotion over God-glorification will always lead me to false freedoms. Self-promotion is a trap since the story it tells is trying is selling something that is false. I am not the end result of all that is right and good in the universe. Okay? I'm not. And the good news for all of us is that you aren't either. This is why my delight must, 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 not should, must be in all that God is and all that God does for the glory of His renown. That's the call. And so so your relationship with Jesus is not part of your life. It is your life. It is. It's your breath. That all other relationships, opportunities, adventures flow from this singular relationship. And what I'm asking us to consider over these few weeks is that we would try to pay attention to the cost that is involved in following Jesus And if it doesn't cost you, then you're not following Him. You're not. Am I willing to go anywhere? Am I willing to do anything for the sake of the cross? And it it is hard to go somewhere if you don't first know where you currently are at. So let's figure that out. Let's figure that out together. And then let's not waste our times being half devoted with our hearts seeking to comfort ourselves and blending in. C.S. Lewis once wrote, and I'll paraphrase, that the world has never really seen outside of Jesus a believer who's come alive. Because had they seen it, the world couldn't contain it. And so what I'd love for us to do is to take these weeks seriously. That we would pursue God throughout the week, and then we would come here together and we would celebrate what God has done in our lives. And that we'd be very mindful of our footsteps. We'd be very mindful of our our emotions. Very mindful of phones that are falling on the ground. But that our hearts would be His. Because what He's done is given us. 
His heart. Our desire this week is to love God by. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, let me make a couple things available. If you need if you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. Maybe you do find yourself in that block too, and you say, Okay, I get it. I, I see now that I've asked Jesus to be my Savior, but I've not given him any control of my life, and I just need some strength and some prayer to do that. We want to pray with you. Maybe you find yourself in that first group. You say, I've never given my life to Jesus. And not only would I like Him to be my Savior, I'd like Him to be my Lord, and I'd like some help getting started. We want to walk with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You that You're unwilling to just let us dance around and soft words but that we would hear your Holy Spirit embolden us and give us courage and give us insight on what it looks like to follow you with with total abandonment and Father what we pray what I pray is that these words would not just fall deaf when we leave this building but that we would consistently taste and see Your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.